Hello again, everyone. It's been a while. Welcome back to The Longest Night. We are a Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon show on the Podbreed network, and we work with our friends at the Narth subreddit as well. My name is Rob, and I've seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times, and I've read George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood. And my name is Lizzie. I've also seen every single episode of Game of Thrones, but I've not read George R.R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood. That's the dynamic for this season of our show. If you <laughs> want to, you can find us over on Twitter. We are at Longest Night GOT. That is at Longest Night GOT. Our title music was written and provided by friend of the podcast, Edward Thomas, and you can find all of his available work. In the description, we decided not to change the theme because that would be wrong. It's all about welcoming you back into something. And so what better way to do it than to make and then to take lots of uh, like uh, Rami Javadi in House of the Dragon takes lots of musical cues from Game of Thrones. And we're taking a taking a big musical cue from our Game of Thrones era. Of course. Before we get going, um, he hasn't spoken yet, but we have a third voice on our show today and will be for the next uh, 10 episodes that we do. So we're going to let him introduce himself. His name is Jay. Hi, everybody out there. So, hey, Jay. Hi. Nice. To, thank you very much. For, thank you for having me on. It's been, I'm very, very excited. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on. Um, your flashback podcast, uh, which was for the TV show Lost. Yes. If anybody's watched all the way through Lost, because uh, I know it's a spoiler-heavy podcast. Believe me, I know it's a spoiler-heavy <laughs> podcast because I appeared on it and yes, wasn't did. allowed to listen to it. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I've gone back and listened to a few episodes since I've uh, since I've finished the show. Um, so if anybody's a fan of Lost and you want to go back through and relive those days, then by all means, check out Flashback. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Um, but we've brought Jay along because... Uh, we, I, th- I think we needed a, a different kind of dynamic for House of the Dragon compared to what we had for Game of Thrones. So I'm going to ask Jay a few questions mm-hmm. just to sort of let everybody know what kind of Game of Thrones fan he is. So, Jay, in, in as few words as possible, how, how did you feel about Game of Thrones while it was on? So, I mean, I first came to it, uh, I watched it in my final year of uni, uh, which was 2012, 2013. So it was during season three, this thing that everyone talked about, and I finally jumped on board. Um, I actually caught up with the broadcast the day after the Red Wedding. So oh after the Red Wedding was when I was finally up to date with everyone. <laughs> That's when I finally oh, wow. came out of my hole <laughs> and talked to people about it. Um, and then watched it as it aired ever since then. Um and around season five, two things happened. One, I kind of like, it's kind of yeah, it's, it's still all right, but kind of a bit air about the show. But I also started to read the books. And while towards the end of the show, I kind of fell out of love with the show and wasn't like massively, massively happy with it. I became really, really in love with the books. Um, and so that kind of became the thing that... Uh, that was my fandom was kind of aimed at that so yeah i really really love those books and um i'm really really excited to see how house of the dragon works because irrespective of you know me kind of being disappointed by the end of game of thrones um i do just still love that world and i love what has been written for it. i think there's so much 
possibility, so much potential, all the different stories and stuff, and um, you know, irrespective of how the story went, <laughs> Game of Thrones was an amazingly well produced show, and it was an incredible world to get lost in on screen. So, I yeah, I'm really really excited about just digging back into that world. Cool. I, I was actually, to be honest, your feelings about the end of Game of Thrones was a big part of the reason why I actually brought you on. Because I, I, I don't want, because I mean, as much as I try to spread pro season eight propaganda wherever I go. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I did want a different kind of, mm-hmm. I, I did want some balance <laughs> with, with House of the Dragon. I, I did want some balance. Um, so, yeah, that's Jay. He's going to be joining us for our House of the Dragon coverage. Um like you say, I mean, just like me, you've read Fire and Blood, right? So yes. you're, you're all cool with uh, knowing where this story is likely to go. Yeah. Um, so, without further ado. All right, this week we are going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 1 of House of the Dragon, entitled The Heirs of the Dragon. It was written by show co-creator Ryan J. Condal and directed by show co-creator Miguel Sapochnik. It was first broadcast on the 21st of August 2022 to an audience of 9.99 million people. I am not going to put show co-creator in the script anymore. That's too hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to find a new way to talk about Ryan J. Condal and Miguel Sapochnik. So, as everybody who has listened to us for a long time knows, the first thing we do whenever we finish the introduction for the episode is we throw straight to Lizzie and ask her how she felt about the episode that she'd just been watching. Um, so, Lizzie, what do we make of the first yeah. episode of House of the Dragon? Yeah, I mean, having only rewatched Winter is Coming quite recently, I can confidently say that I prefer Heirs of the Dragon. You know, admittedly, I found Winter is Coming more difficult to follow because it had a lot more work to do in, you know, introducing its vast world and its, you know, its many characters. But I think Heirs does this a lot more confidently because it assumes at least some prior knowledge of the subject matter. It's not like having to hold your hand all the way through it and, you know, guide, you know, let you in gently. It is a, it's kind of a, it can afford to be like a bold, assertive episode just because it assumes that familiarity. And also I remember you telling me about parts of Winter is Coming being salvaged from a pilot episode, I think, which is quite noticeable at certain points and makes the episode feel a bit inconsistent and uncertain at points. Like, I'd say, you know, maybe controversially, but I feel like the King's Road is the real coming out party of Game of Thrones. But anyway, we're not talking about Game of Thrones, we're talking about... House of the Dragon and Heirs of the Dragon is an assured, assertive premiere that put most of my doubts about the series to bed almost instantly. I I really loved this episode. Oh, well, that's fantastic. That's great. And that kind of tracks with how I felt um, watching it at the Cineworld in Leicester Square, you know, when there was no real analysis of the episode out in the world. I was just kind of like going in, you know, completely sort of naked with it. 
And I was, mm. as I was sat there, and as soon as it finished, my first thought was, Lizzie's going to have a much better time with this than she did with Winter Is Coming. And I was, yeah, I was quite yeah. relieved because I do think it is a bit easier to kind of get a handle on compared Absolutely. to um, yeah. Winter Is Coming. Jay, what about you? How did, how, when did you first get to watch this? Um, so, uh, where did I watch it? Did I watch it on Monday? I think I watched it on Monday. Yeah, I think I watched it on Monday. Um, it's it was great. I really liked it. I, the thing that shocked me the most—it's not even this—it's not even the show itself. I've been probably out of the people I know, probably the most optimistic about House of the Dragon in saying like, "Hey, I think it's going to be good, guys." Because because I didn't like Game of Thrones, that seems kind of weird. That'd be so optimistic, and it's kind of shocked me how many people who have been way more pessimistic about this than me have come up to me since it's aired and gone, that's really good. I'm going to keep watching it. It's, yeah, totally. it's really good. It's surprisingly good. Um, I definitely agree with the, the whole thing of it, do, it doesn't hold your hand as much. Uh, or, well, yeah, definitely. I also think that um, it, it does the thing that Game of Thrones did, I think, which, you know, Game of Thrones, if you think about it, that show should never been have been as big as it was. Like, if you just if you pitch that show to people, it sounds so crazy that it would be the biggest thing ever. But I think it became so popular because it was its fantasy and its weirdness and its stuff, but it was focused so much on character and human drama, like, straight away. And I think House of the Dragon does that the same way. Like, there is no... I don't think there's much room for you to be kind of sniffy about the fantasy-ish elements, which is weird because there's dragons flying around in the sky in this episode. <laughs> but like, it gets straight in with he's our, they, here are characters with personalities you understand that are having, you know, heightened but relatable human drama. And it was set up, but it wasn't boring set up. It wasn't just a big list of he, you know, names and stuff. Like there were events happening that were very, very engaging and very well presented and. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I've got to agree with the two of you. Um, this is a very promising first episode. I, like you, Jay, I was kind of... I mean, I really liked the end of Game of Thrones, and mm-hmm. so I was sort of like, well, of course, you know, Miguel Sapochnik staying over. They've got a bunch of the production staff. I see no reason why this can't be good. Um, but then, like, you know, you get a bit closer to it, and you start getting, not exactly cold feet, but you get some jitters, and you just, oh, God, shit, what if it's not... And like, what yeah. if it's not good? And like that sort of thing. And so when I sat down, and I was watching that first 15, 20 minutes of the episode. And again, there'd been no reaction. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I think that as much as the episode doesn't really hold your hand, I think it goes out of its way in the first 20 minutes. Like there's some really inelegant and a bit kind of ham-fisted exposition in the first kind of 20 minutes of the episode. There's a couple okay. of moments... Where it's a bit like um, characters just kind of saying how they feel as opposed to watching them change their expression or something like that. And then there's the the bit with Damon where he's like, um, your wife is recently deceased, isn't she, Otto? And things and there's little, little <laughs> things like that. But it kind of moves past that. And I think once you start recognising faces, once the episode settles into its rhythm, I think it really starts to sing. I think that... The defining central sequence, obviously, is the childbirth slash jousting mm, montage yeah. that yeah. we get. It's my favourite part of the episode. And then after that, it just sails all the way to the finish line. Um, I think 
already I get the feeling that this show knows what it wants to say and how it wants to say it, which I think is exactly how David Benioff and Dan Weiss brought me into this world in the first place and kept mm-hmm. me going, which is that they had a vision and by the end, mm. whether you liked it or not, they were going to stick to it. They had a vision for the show. I remember watching this video. It was like a second of every single episode of Game of Thrones or something like that over the course of about two and a half minutes. Um, so maybe it was five seconds of every single uh, Game of Thrones episode. And you notice ice and fire c- slowly creeping into the frame more and more and more as the show goes on. And I get the feeling that when this show is over and we look back at it in the same way, there'll be similar things that kind of creep into the frame as a bit of a, a visual symbol for what's really been going on the entire time. I think that there's a lot of fertile ground established in this episode for the show to explore themes, especially about gender, gender roles, gender identity, the gender mm-hmm. binary, how men and women yep. are both wronged under this fixation on maintaining a patriarchal system. But I think it's also more concerned with how <laughs> the females of this world have it much worse because they're raised and socialized to be women who are expected to simply accept the violence that's on display and is part of their existence. Whereas the males of the world are raised to be men who need to change history by enacting as much violence as they possibly can. It draws a lot of really interesting contrasts. I think the performances are all really good, especially Paddy Considine, Matt Smith, and uh, even though it's a brief appearance, uh, Sean Brooke. Mm -hmm. And most of all, the thing I was really wanting to feel was happy to be back in this world again. And the first, the the only thing I really wanted out of this episode was to feel like it was it. The show was in safe hands, and it is. So, I am completely fine with wherever this goes um not to not to name drop but i accidentally bumped into (laughs) miguel sapochnik outside the odeon in leicester square and i got to shake his hand and say thanks for all of his work on game of thrones but he said no 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 he said no no he said what did you make of that you've just seen it what what do you make of it and i said well he said i said i liked it a lot i said but i'm i'm really excited about it so i'm just trying to stay calm and he said, he said, that's totally fine. He said, stay calm. He said, because it gets better and better as it goes along. <laughs> and I think there is an acceptance there for from Miguel to sort of say, this was just the entrance. You know, we didn't want to blow the doors off when we came in. We just yeah. wanted to walk in. And it's good, I think, because it shows that they have ideas about the kind of momentum that this show is going to have. That is a bit kind of Mandy Rice Davis, though. It's like, you will say, oh, well, you know, don't it get... It gets don't worse get too as it goes to, along. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> uh, all right, then. Into the episode we go. Over a thousand lords made the journey to Harrenhal. Fourteen succession claims were heard, but only two were truly considered. Princess Rhaenys Targaryen the king's eldest descendant, and her younger cousin, Prince Viserys Targaryen, the king's eldest male descendant. It is declared by all lords paramount and lords vassal of the seven kingdoms that Prince Viserys Targaryen be made Prince of Dragonstone. Rhaenys, 
a woman, would not inherit the Iron Throne. In the year 101 AC, the health of King Jaehaerys Targaryen is weakening. Without a male heir to succeed him, there is a risk of civil war breaking out amongst the members of House Targaryen. King Jaehaerys calls a great council to avoid any potential conflict. At the ruined castle of Harrenhal, he elects his grandson, Prince Viserys Targaryen, to be his successor. In doing so, Jaehaerys passes over the claim of his eldest grandchild, Princess Rhaenys. From that day onwards, Princess Rhaenys is known as the Queen Who Never Was. So, Lizzie, this was your first introduction as a completely new viewer with yeah. no idea what's coming out in front of you. What do you make of this prologue? Yeah, it's weird. Is it a nice I, way in? I thought, I thought I'd skip to see or something when I first saw it because <laughs> it does just go straight in with that, um, you know, that introductory narration. But... Yeah, I did, as much as I said this this episode doesn't hold your hand all the way through it, I did appreciate that introduction. I I almost feel like I I don't want to sort of go back and rewrite episode one of Game of Thrones, but it's one of those things you wonder like if you'd had a bit more introduction than just here are the characters, okay, go. You wonder if maybe you might have or like if I might have felt more comfortable with the show initially like like I did with this because I know straight away what's going on you know there's a nab there's a, a king who is suffering from ill health and he's looking for a successor and he nominates someone who potentially wouldn't have been the first choice and that kind of creates the conflict straight from the off you understand it immediately and then you get that you know you get that great bit at the end it's like what was it the only thing that could destroy the Targaryen house was itself yeah, and yeah, you're straight in with it. I, I I really like it, and I don't know if we're going into the intro bit. You know, the actual theme song and the just the well, sh- shortened intro. Go on. Mm, yeah, th- there is a bit of chatter that maybe the full theme is going to be saved until episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered that because it was yeah. quite it's quite stark. I kind of didn't mind it. I liked but it. Yeah. It didn't even say like keep it as it is but maybe say house of the dragon because it was literally just the sigil wasn't it well that's the mm. thing because i was wondering like this show surely assumes some kind of um familiarity with game of thrones right yeah in a similar way as like better call Saul and breaking bad it's assumed that you've you've watched one before the other so i think yeah i can see where you're coming from where you'd want to have that big house of the dragon logo straight there the te- the big text but do you need it i think i thought mm, the intro was really not. good yeah mm. yeah i'm i'm honestly not going to be too fussed if there is no main title theme to this because yeah, same. the game of thrones theme tune is such a huge thing to live up to of course yeah. and like even just the whole construction of the intro all the little like dollhouses and all the little meccano sets and stuff that come to life and mm. I think just avoiding the issue entirely, it avoids comparison in that way. It's like this show has already got enough comparison on its plate to deal with. And so maybe they just thought, no, no, we're not going to put the theme there. Just let's, you know, there's enough discourse as it is. Let's not add some more in about what the show's theme is like. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think my only note from this is it's good to see Harrenhal again, because I think the last time we go there in Game of Thrones is season three. Yeah, and so you're right, yeah. The set's really nicely rendered. 
sees it seems that the show is kind of paying tribute to Harren Hall because it's very important castle in Fire and Blood, mm-hmm. like during the first hundred years of the Targaryen rule, and it just felt like a nice recognition that yeah okay we, we th- this is a good point to start like you open the book and it's like you know you go through all those chapters of Jaehaerys's rule. <sighs> Wow, uh, where it's fifty-three years of a peaceful reign, and the, oh god, it's like one hundred and fifty pages. But um, <laughs> yeah, they've picked the most exciting bit of the book. I'll say that much. But um, in eighty-nine AC, yeah. no one died. In ninety, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah that is kind of how it goes. Um, yeah. So, Jay, what did you take like from this? Like the differences from from Game of Thrones that is immediately apparent, I guess, is the Kate, Kate Blanchett style. <laughs> that's exactly what i thought yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, it 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 is a better way of doing it i think i don't know obviously game of thrones is what it is it's hard to go back and be like no something should change <laughs> but like i mean a little thing doing robert's rebellion probably wouldn't have hurt maybe um i do think it's a nice little introdu- a little introduction um i do like the, the the text thing at the end as well just to kind of hammer home this idea of like yes it's connected but also we are so far back in the past that don't worry this is something completely new um i quite liked that also i'll mention it here just to save me mentioning it for the rest of the episode but the face of princess rainis she pulls the best face throughout this whole sh- throughout this whole episode which is the face of i told you <laughs> I, sh- <laughs> yeah. I told you all of this happening yeah. Yeah, I should have been. I should have been there. It's just got this like incredibly like annoyed, but kind of like done with it all face. Like it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just um, Lizzie, you haven't seen the Lord of the Rings movies, have you? I've not. No. Uh, well, imagine this sequence at the start of House of the Dragon, but it's about it's about six minutes long. <laughs> And it's Kate oh, Blanchett. <laughs> and it's, it's just Kate Blanchett in character as Galadriel explaining everything that's happened over the past like 150,000 million years or however long. Because the, the time moves in a slightly different way in the Lord of the Rings universe. Like, uh, you've seen pictures of Frodo Baggins, right? Played by a 22 year old Elijah Wood at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like 54. And it's a, <laughs> right, an Aragorn okay. played by, play by uh, Viggo Mortensen. He's like 87 or something like that. It's just ridiculous how time moves in that world but it's a similar kind of thing i think where they've clearly looked like hmm how do you introduce a massive fantasy universe oh i know just tell everybody what's going on so <laughs> it reminds me yeah. of the start of the david lynch dune if either of you oh, have seen that God, yes <laughs> that woman's face that keeps fading in and out because and it's one like, more oh, thing <laughs> i just remembered yeah <laughs> God, that movie. But oh. I think I think House of the Dragon does a happy medium where it's not just throwing you in the deep end and it's not rambling for too long. It's just here are the salient points, that's the bed, and now we're gonna build on it. Yeah, yeah it's the first I agree. it's the first cue I get that this isn't for people who've read the books. This is them trying to appeal to a more broad general audience. Yeah. And in a way I was quite relieved about that. Um, because my mum's just sitting down to watch House of the Dragon tonight. She, you know, I think people who've listened to this show before will already know this, but I'll just tell Jay that my mum doesn't like violence on TV, doesn't really mm-hmm. do blood and guts, doesn't really yeah. do sex and swearing and all, and fans, especially she doesn't do fantasy. Okay. Yeah. She she fell in love with Game of Thrones after about four episodes. Okay. Yeah. I initially intended to show it to my dad. My mum was reading on the sofa, 
And then by episode four, when Tyrion gets arrested, she was like, right, book's down. I need to see what happens to Tyrion. Oh, wow. And so um, I'm hoping that she gets on board with this in the same way that she did with uh, with Game of Thrones. And I think a way to help her in is to acknowledge that you've got quite a lore-heavy story coming up and just give people as much of it as you can in, as, as, in a digestible way as possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. Cool. I don't need mothering, Rhaenyra. Well, here you are, surrounded by attendants, all focused on the babe. Someone has to attend you. You will lie in this bed soon enough, Rhaenyra. This discomfort is how we serve the realm. I'd rather serve as a knight and ride to battle in glory. <laughs> we have royal wounds, you and I. The childbed is our battlefield. We must learn to face it with a stiff lip. Now take a bath, you stink of dragon. Okay, in the first part of the episode, 11 years after that great council, Princess Rhaenyra flies her dragon Cyrax around King's Landing. Apologies if it's Cyrax. She then meets with her mother, Emma, who is heavily pregnant. Then she visits her father, King Viserys, who is hosting a small council meeting. Rhaenyra is escorted to the throne room, where the king's brother and Rhaenyra's uncle, Daemon Targaryen, sits on the Iron Throne. He gifts a Valyrian steel necklace to Rhaenyra. Elsewhere, Viserys goes to see his wife, Emma, as she bathes. He is confident that their next child will be a son, but Emma says that after losing so many babies already, she cannot bring herself to mourn again. Later that night, Daemon leads the City Watch into Flea Bottom and unleashes them on the common people. Several suspected criminals are rounded up and violently attacked. Afterwards, Daemon complains to his mistress, Missaria, about the lack of respect he has been shown by the small council. And then the Hand of the King, Otto Hightower, later urges King Viserys to send Daemon away to the Vale. So, Jay... What notes have you got about this first kind of everything up to the King's Tournament? How are we feeling about this first 20, 25 minutes? I think it, the first thing to say, I mean, as I said earlier, it's, it's that human drama. Everything's being kind of laid out. We're getting to, we're seeing all these characters at first. And I'll say up front, like, I think highlight for me, it's kind of annoying that she's, that she's probably not going to be in the show anymore. But Sean Brock as Emma is probably the best thing in the episode for me even though she's only in three yeah. scenes and in one of them she ignobly dies <laughs> yeah um yeah I, there's something about yeah her presence that's just v very i don't know it just cuts through some of the more kind of fantasy-ish kind of people talking in certain ways and stuff and something about her is just very very real and very heartbreaking um like especially when she says um to her husband like I can't remember the exact is like I've mourned all the dead children I can like that's a brutal line for episode mm. one of your new show <laughs> of yeah. your new dragon show um like yeah she really stood out to me as is really really good and obviously everyone's singing the praises of Matt Smith which is fair enough I think he's pretty much born to be in this series I don't know mm. how he didn't get cast in the original show um I don't know he just fits like a glove in this world I think um but uh, yeah everybody is really really good and i think yeah it just it's kind of setting things out i, I don't know if you want to talk about the 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 city watch scene <laughs> which was very full on 
Yeah, yeah, Lizzie, how did you feel about the City Watch scene? Because I know sometimes in Game of Thrones, like, the graphic violence didn't necessarily bother you, but I think my reaction to it is a bit... I, I don't know whether I'm just desensitised. I was, I, I was, when I was watching that scene, I was kind of wondering how you felt, especially about that guy's uh, whole scrotum getting sliced off and then dumped on a block in front of him. <laughs> Uh, I mean, worse things have happened, you know. Because um, <laughs> I, I was more distracted by the fact that they dubbed in a fart when that was happening. Did you yeah, hear that? I yeah. wondered that. about this. Yeah, no, it's, there was definitely a fart in that scene. I, yeah, the, well, the first time I watched the episode in that cinema, I thought, hang on a minute, was that a fart sound? And then the second time I watched the episode, I thought, no way, I must have just misheard it. But then, like, and then I thought, hang on, I, I genuinely cannot tell. Where I, I really can't tell. Because um, I go back and watch that scene, and there's a squelch. But I don't yeah. know if it's just a squelch or something else. But, yeah, but yeah, carry on, carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I think, like you, I'm kind of desensitised to it. But obviously, you know, later on is what, kind of shocked me more and what like mm. sticks in the memory from this episode um because i think like we'd seen the kind of ransacking of like common people in game of thrones as well it's kind of a familiar thing but so yeah i can't believe like everything you've just run through there i can't believe that's all in the space of about 20 minutes <laughs> like if this was game of thrones and you're hopping between locations this would have taken about three or four episodes i feel and mm. something like the, the the birthing scene later on would be something you'd get at the finale. It goes to show how much ground you can cover when you're just focused on this one location. And yeah, it, it still gives you enough time to get um, acquainted with these new characters like, um, you know, Princess Rhaenyra and uh, King Viserys and Emma and uh, Daemon Targaryen. And you learn enough about them in this time, like particularly, um, I'd say, Emma and King Viserys, where you get the sense Viserys, like uh, Robert Baratheon, he's also kind of exhausted with being on the throne, but he's not, like, sick of it. He's not... It's not really in a cynical sense. It's more just exhaustion. I think it's this endless pain that the two of them have suffered and the only thing keeping him going is the thought that one day he might have a son he might have you know an heir to call his own but you can tell there's genuine like pain and suffering there as much as they both love each other it's very clear that the last couple of years have just taken it out of them and this stuff with Damon I think whenever he comes up he almost doesn't want to talk about it because it's like, I, you know, at this point I've just passed it. I just, I, I don't want him to go away because he's my brother, but like, I, I don't have the energy for this anymore. I've got bigger issues to deal with and, you know. Yeah, the, so, the, yeah. the, the sense I got with him was, I think what Paddy Considine gets across the most for me is that he clearly loves his brother and he's clearly yeah. way too soft on his brother, but he's oh, also yeah. kind of he kind of knows that he shouldn't be. So he kind of looks disappointed in himself almost that he's being soft on his brother. Like and I think that adds an extra kind of layer to it where Yeah, yeah you you're kind of you, you don't want to quarter slap him and be like, Oh just just you know, just kick him out or do something because you, you, you get that, that you get that sense of love from him. Absolutely. And it, it, it is kind of like, well, 
if not for you know if not for Emma and if not for um, Rhaenyra, what other family do I really have here? I have a bunch of acquaintances and you know colleagues, so to speak, but true family is another thing entirely. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny the way. I mean, I think Paddy Considine is excellent. I think he's my favourite thing about this episode. Um, yeah. I will talk about his performance a little bit more in part three, mm-hmm. but just for now, I do think it. I do think it's very interesting that he clearly has grown weary of being king, and yet he is desperate to have a son to give the role of king to. Yeah. And I, there's a very interesting contradiction there because it, I, th- I think this is part of the episode's point about this maintenance of this status quo, this patriarchal status quo, where it's like he doesn't want to curse a child that he has with the the burdens that he has. And yet he feels he's desperate to do it because he's had dreams about it. And like, it's just the way that things are. And, oh God, if we don't have a son, then, oh God, there's war coming. And like, so I need to avoid that. And he just seems like a guy who's caught between a rock and a hard place. In the first kind of 20 minutes of the episode, he does seem a bit kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. He's in a very different place after the central sequence of the episode um i love that we're dropped in like this as if it's a day like any other um yeah. i do think there are a few lines though that do make me laugh with just how much of an info dump they are <laughs> like rainiera being like i want to be battles and i want to ride to glory and it's like okay we could probably pick that up off a facial expression or the fact that we've just seen you riding on a dragon like you don't need to tell us we'll give it um, three or four episodes and we'll see <laughs> you know. yeah um Alison saying to like Alison just kind of coming out with what Rainier is thinking as well. Like you're worried about your father; he's going to overshadow you with a son, isn't he? And it's like, <laughs> okay, I know Alison is perceptive, but like, give us a little credit. Um, but I think once it moves past all that stuff, you know, it, it's it, I understand that it's just the necessary problems that come with being your first episode of something you know that the, there are little things like that even in winter is coming where like they have to they realize that they hadn't done a good enough job of explaining who everybody everybody was in the royal cavalcade mm-hmm. and so you get Arya and Sansa dubbed off screen explaining who all of the characters are as they appear and then Sansa's going will you shut up will you shut up <laughs> <laughs> while Arya's saying that's the king's brother that's that's you know that, that's the queen's brother Jamie Lannister that's Tyrion he's the and stuff like, that. like when, when, and so I think yeah. they've just had to find a way to do it. Um, yeah. How does everybody feel about the dragons and the way that they look? Oh <sighs> God! Um, they go they on, look you, a bit. You first. They look a bit rubbery to me. There's a look, that first. Yeah. When it's in the yeah. air, flying, that's fine. Mm. There's a shot from above after it lands and she's dismounting, and it looks pretty <laughs> janky from above. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's. I think I, d- I can't tell if it's because it's new CGI style in the Game of Thrones universe, or if it is an actual problem. But like, I think it's just something that we're gonna have to get used to, and maybe in a few day, in a few weeks, we'll be like, oh, okay, because like you say, when they're flying, it looks awesome, but then yeah. like when Cyrax is down on the ground, and it's like, oh god, it's not there, is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's also worth saying for part one, we've mentioned Alison and uh, Rhaenyra, but it's worth pointing out that that 
I, I like that we're getting stuck into showing them as friends immediately because that is a significant like diversion definitely. from the book yeah. and a good one because yes, I think definitely yeah having them be actual friends um, means we're going to see how they change as the story goes on and I think that's better than just kind mm. of having them come into contact later in life um, and making them the same age exactly as well. yeah it's been yeah. a big change I, I don't know if I told you Lizzie but Alison is about ten years older than Rhaenyra in the books they they oh. have a kind of friendship I think. But it's okay. kind of like it's kind of like more of a mentorship, whereas they've made them. Ex- Alison is twenty five or twenty six in the books, I think, and Rainier is about fourteen, mm. and so they've made them both fourteen, fifteen years old. And yeah, their relationship right now and their relationship as it changes, I think the the changes will be more pronounced because they're the same age. They'll be going through the same relatively same court life at the same ages, but their responses to it will be very different. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to what they do with that. Um, speaking of Rhaenyra, that scene that she has with Emma, where they're talking about like you know everybody's focused on the babe, but what about you? I think that starts to get to the heart of what this episode's really trying to do, which is drawing a contrast between the kind of violence that men experience and dole out, and the kind of violence that women are kind of just taught to suffer and accept. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's kind of funny how like. It, it it makes the point that it's kind of funny how like this unquestioned patriarchy often leads to situations like there being a massive constitutional crisis just because there's no sun and situations like Emma having to suffer like four miscarriages because his husband because her husband's obsessed with like I must have a son I must have a son to avoid this constitutional breakdown which will lead to war and the, the very simple problem the very simple solution to the problem is just what if we just put a girl on the throne yeah. <laughs> we thought about this guys <laughs> yeah honestly it's like this Henry the Eighth itis sort of going on yeah and like yeah um <laughs> Just going back to Rhaenyra and Alison a second, it's like, I feel like it's, it's important that you see friendship in the show because you don't yeah. really see it anywhere else. This mm. seems like a bit of a, maybe not hostile, but unfriendly environment to be in. Yeah, this was something that when they said they were going to adapt this, there was something that I was a little bit concerned about and it was whether... Because the hook into Game of Thrones, the two hooks into Game of Thrones are Arya and Tyrion in that mm. first episode. They're those. They're the first two characters where it's like, they're modern characters put into a medieval world. And I was a little bit worried with House of the Dragon where it is all very, in Fire and Blood, it is all very serious. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of... It, it, it is all very self-serious. And I was a little bit worried that people watching this may not relate... To certain characters but I think a lot of people are having fun with Damon and a lot of people are having fun with Millie Alcock as Rhaenyra I've seen a tweet that's had a lot of interactions where it's just a couple of screenshots of Rhaenyra saying this girl's going to carry gay Twitter for several weeks <laughs> so if people are connecting with her in that way on social media then I think that's a pretty good indication of how general audiences are going to feel because oh, they've sure. basically put Daenerys and Arya into a character and so, yeah, fair enough. Like, let's see where it goes with that one. I yeah, think, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how people respond to it. I just want to say, Reese fans disappears into Otto. That's a great bit of casting. Yeah, agreed. Um, and 
they've added in a book feature that I wasn't sure they were going to add in, which is that the Iron Throne is cutting kings. Yes. This, I loved it. This, yeah. So this is a weird thing. I don't think the Iron Throne is sentient, but there is this weird thing throughout Targaryen history where, like, certain kings have been injured by the Iron Throne. Because um, Maegor the Cruel, who was king, yeah. like, 60 years before this, he was found dead on the Iron Throne yeah, with cuts and all... He, yeah, he was basically impaled, and they can't tell whether he was murdered or if he just kind of got cut to death by the chair. And so it's this weird myth and legend that's kind of passed through, and, like, seeing Viserys getting, like, what is effectively bed sores off the Iron Throne and then accidentally cutting himself later in the episode. I think the Mad King is also, like... He's known for having lots of scabs all yes. over him because the yeah. Iron Throne cuts him. So that's obviously, you know, nearly like 150 years after this. And so I wasn't sure how they were going to put that into the show. And it's a nice little detail, I think. Yeah, and it and just I think makes you like, wonder. Yeah, and I think it's quite like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm watching it with my with my girlfriend and she turns and goes, ah, he's not doing, like, he's not worthy. Like, mm. I think it's a, it's a clear visual metaphor of like, yeah, when the Iron Throne starts to turn against you, maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe something's not right. I know many of you have travelled long leagues to be at these games, but I promise you will not be disappointed. When I look at the fine knights in these lists, I see a group without equal in our histories. And this great day has been made more auspicious by the news that I am happy to share. Queen Emma has begun her labors. May the luck of the seven shine upon all combatants. King Viserys opens the Heirs Tournament to celebrate Emma going into labor. Damon defeats Otto Hightower's son, Gwen in a joust, and then receives Otto's daughter, Alicent's favor. Viserys is then informed that Emma's child is in breach and that the maesters must cut open her womb to save the baby. He is told that Emma will die either way, but that cutting open her womb might save the baby. As the decision is made to perform a caesarean on Emma, Damon faces a Dornish soldier, Sir Criston Cole, and loses. As Emma dies on the birthing bed, Viserys is informed that he has a son, whom he names Balon, but Balon dies shortly after being born. Lizzie, this is the centrepiece yes. of the episode. How do you Certainly feel about is. it? Yeah, I think it's really well done. Um, I, don't, I don't quite know where to start, but I guess we'll start with, um, you know, Emma's, the, you know, the birthing scene. Definitely. Um, yeah, because I, I feel like there's been some, like I'm not on Twitter anymore, but from what I gather, there's been a bit of... Is it what I call it controversy about this scene and some, a little yeah some critics calling it um, you know oh, oh god how would you describe it as indulgent maybe or a, yeah they normally call it gratuitous gratuitous <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm looking for thank you but no I, I I didn't find it gratuitous at all I think it's I think it's horrific and it's heartbreaking but I think the reason why I was well maybe why I was okay with watching this and not so much you know going back to season five with Sansa in Game of Thrones 
is because it's that mm. Emma is the focus here. As much as obviously, you know, Viserys will have a lot of pain and trauma that comes from this as well, it's clear that there's only one person in the scene who is the focal point, and that is, you know, it's Emma. And of course, it's just it's one of the most brutal things in the entire universe. Like it's something you couldn't possibly imagine, and yet as George R. R. Martin says, you look at history, you look at the real world, and you will find something like this. If you, you don't even have to look particularly hard to find something like this. This is something that just happens, and there aren't books or songs written about it. It's just one of those things. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm really gutted to lose Emma so early because I totally agree with you both that she exemplifies this. Um, you know, this role within the show that I genuinely thought she was going to be a focal point for the series and to lose her so soon is a real blow. But, um, yeah, I think it's an incredible scene. Hmm. This was the moment in the in the cinema where I sat there. I mean, I, I did start choking up during this sequence and yeah, yeah. I thought, right, okay, yeah, it's got me. Like, I, I was... Mm. That was the moment where I was like, oh... Thank God, like, I've been emotionally involved in a scene. Like, you know, that that was what I needed just to kind of pull me in. Um, this is, for me, this is the best period of the episode. I think this is really when it starts to turn into a great premiere. I think it crystallizes a lot of the themes that have been discussed already regarding what violence looks like under a patriarchy. And now we get a fresh angle where... Nothing particularly malicious takes place here, but sex-based violence is still carried out in this scene, and all but two yeah, people definitely. involved. All but two people involved seem to actually care much about it, mm. and even one mm. of the people who cares, which is Viserys, he doesn't seem to recognise that he's done this to her by relentlessly trying to get her pregnant with a son. Like, yeah, the amount of miscarriages yeah. that she's gone through and he still forces the issue because he's desperate to avoid civil war. Mm. And Shan Brooks screaming is just... It's just amazing. I mean, it's horrible, but, like, it's wonderful. Yeah. It stays like, with you, definitely. Yeah, and Emma starts the episode talking about how the birthing bed is a battlefield... Uh, and mm. as we see, thanks to the jousting montage, at least on a battlefield, you're given a sword. You're yeah. given a chance to defend yourself. Whereas on the birthing yeah. bed, you're just drugged up to the eyeballs and like given no choice about whether you live or die. Like her agency gets, I mean, there's a really good moment that it's, it's a very small moment, but it happens and it happens very quickly. But it's when she's kind of laying... I mean, she, obviously she's unaware that she's going to die, but, like, you know, she's got morphine up to the eyeballs. She's looking at Viserys. He's told her that he loves her. And she's like, oh, isn't this, you know, blissfully unaware about what, about, you know, what, um, of what's about to happen? But then all of a mm. sudden she just gets yanked down the bed. Yeah. And the pillows yeah. get taken out from behind her. And it's like, your agency's gone. Just right there. It, it just gets pulled away from her like that. And... I find it so tragic that like her agency gets stripped away by the one thing she was put on this earth to do. Like, and I think the episode very quietly argues that it's hard to separate the act of intercourse from violence in this world. Because if there's a chance of impregnating someone, then there's a chance of leaving their fate open to the gods when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. 
And yeah. that's a really interesting thing to play with. Like, this, Emma has just sort of been openly like, this is, this is how we serve the realm. This is what we are put on this earth to do. And of course, you know, I'm, this is how we serve the realm. This is our duty. I seem more than happy to, I mean, obviously she tells one thing to her husband, which is like, I can't do this anymore. And she tells another thing to Rhaenyra, which is like, this is just my job. This is what I was put here to do. And it kills her. Yeah. And the episode spins on a dime during yeah. this sequence and starts rocketing towards a really cool second half. And all I can think about is Cersei and Blackwater when she's like drunkenly raging at Sansa about the fact that women are very rarely in control of any of their own decisions in Westeros. Yeah, definitely. They're just expected to do things. And I think that's when it dawns on Rhaenyra that Emma is dying. And it hits home that like, when she's got a when she's in the royal box and she's got to break out of this life and I think that's when it when it hits her. Mm. Um, Jay, uh, what about you? What did you make of Emma? I mean, it's a, a, everything that you you guys said. I completely agree with it's the it's the center of the episode. It's it's yeah one of the one of the parts of the reasons why Emma was the best part of the episode for me. It's harrowing <laughs> in the most horrific mm. way, um, but it also like it, it for me like outside of the actual content and everything just as the story it exemplifies to me the thing that i was most excited about this show for which is and i I don't i think this is how it goes correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure that in fire and blood there is a paragraph in which it says emma aaron died in childbirth yeah and the thing i've been looking forward to is okay well can some can some writers take that and where can they take that and this was like okay they've taken that one line one event and gone how can we spin out so many different like depths of different characters with this? Like you see, like Viserys has to make the choice to do it. That wasn't in the book, but now we have a character who had to make a choice, and then the choice—not that obviously it's a weighted choice, but it backfires. Like it wasn't worth it. He's looking at. He, there's a fantastic image that really, really stuck with me, where the Maester who's also hysterical through this whole episode because he's so incompetent. It's like he's just doddering yeah. and stupid. It's hilarious. But he walks yeah. over holding the baby and says, congratulations, your grace. You have a son. And it's just a shot of just blood and a dead body. And he's holding the baby while saying congratulations. And it's just this really striking image of like, oh my God, like that really wasn't worth it, was it? Like dead. Banality in the face of horror. Yeah. Like... Yeah, it's, that, it seems yeah. so mundane to him. Is that where Viserys yeah, exactly. kind of just turns around really slowly, like, what the fuck? Why do you think this is the moment to have, like, no, go away. <laughs> this is not the time. victory. No, it's like, I've yeah. sunned at what, at what cost, sort of thing. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a, mm. it's a really, really fantastic. And I think it is going to be the thing that, if you're going to get into the show, I think that's the moment, as you said, where you're like, oh, okay, this is probably where you're going to go with it, because this is like actual <laughs> proper drama and where do you go from here? What is going to happen? Yeah, um, definitely. And I mean, I was going to say, can we talk a bit about the jousting scene? Because I really liked all of that stuff as well. Oh, let's. <laughs> yeah, well, I love the parallel that gets drawn and it's something that was picked up by a friend of mine, uh, Michael, who I think listens to the show every now and again. He, <laughs> he said he loves the moment where the baby screaming and Emma screaming and all that like gets matched up with Damon screaming because of course Damon is also just a big baby and <laughs> I think that's yeah it, it does that kind of seals it for me um 
it's a pretty cool sequence. I love the on-horse shots, but to be honest, my favourite bit of the whole jousting sequence is um, Alison digging into her nails. Yeah. Like, she's a very anxious person. She seems like quite, you know, I mean, obviously she's very intelligent, seems very put together, but she's clearly horrified by all of this violence that she seems to be witness to. It reminds me a little bit of um, Sansa in season one of Game of Thrones, was, where she's witnessed say, to that yeah. joust. Yeah, it's it's a lot of. I think it's even though it's juxtaposed with something horrific, it's a lot of fun that scene. Even before it all kind of goes south, um, mm. everyone's got like as it's been mentioned everywhere. That this point about the heraldry, which apparently like George Martin has said explicitly, like that was a thing that they were going for to make the heraldry and the sigils much more colourful and kind of pop, which struck me a lot in this scene. Like you see everything, you're seeing flags being changed as different people enter the lists and stuff. Like I liked that. Um, the, <laughs> there's at one point when a guy comes to introduce Damon, um, he like comes out to introduce him like a boxing ring announcer, and it just made me think of a Knight's Tale, like. That's all I could think of. <laughs> was like the you might book. have to explain that. Have you not seen A Knight's Tale? No. Oh, okay. Anyone listening to this who has not seen A Knight's Tale, go and see it. Uh, incredibly anachronistic uh, medieval jousting sports movie with Heath Ledger and um, a bunch of other people who are all really, really famous whose name escapes me. Um, <laughs> but it's really, inaccurate, like, really anachronistic and they introduce people. Paul Bettany introduces people like he's introducing wrestlers. Um, and like the crowd is like there's like a band playing we will rock you and the crowd are doing like the bump bump chish on the like the railings of the stadium it's it's incredible and it made me think of that um it's also i won't go into this any further but it's also kind of foreshadowing central like there are lingering shots of characters in these scenes where i'm like yeah okay i'll see you again in maybe next season <laughs> or like maybe in a few episodes time like i think mm. that's a scene that you'll come back to after after season one and go oh that's who that is and that's who that is it's really cool mm. yeah yeah lizzie what what do you make of the old joust yeah really liked it um it is again a bit like you know you have those parallels with season one of Game of Thrones and um, like you mentioned Sansa, but also I think there is um, was it the, was it the same scene where Robert was quite wearied the whole thing and obviously had other things on his mind and you kind of get the yeah, same it's thing. The, with... um, Start the dab joust before I <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I love him so much. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just this. It in, it kind of introduces. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure it was there before, but it gives another angle to the tension between the Hightower family and the Targaryen family. And there's clearly a lot of unspoken, um, you know, maybe even hatred there, because it's like we don't really know the full extent of their working relationship together. Mm-hmm. So for them to explore it in this way with um, you know, with Sir Kristen Cole and Viserys and that it kind of culminating the way it did in, you know, a battle which was clearly fought with a fair bit of emotion. Yeah. It's it's made me very curious to see, you know, where that goes. Obviously having known nothing about the books. Um yeah, it's interesting that you've got this kind of this feud happening within the same realm it's not like this is a war being fought over distant lands and and everything it's just it's all happening within this small enclave and 
yeah, very curious to see where that goes. Special mention for Damon's dragon armor as well. That's something that Game of Thrones, I think, skimped on a little bit. Was kind of the flamboyant, uh, <laughs> the flamboyant armors that they sometimes. Oh, that wear. helmet's like, so good. Actual dragon helmet was pretty sick. <laughs> you have no allies at court but me. I have only ever defended you. Did everything I've given you, you've thrown back in my face. You've only ever tried to send me away to the Vale, to the City Watch. Anywhere but by your side. Ten years you've been king, and yet not once have you asked me to be your hand. Why would I do that? Because I'm your brother. And the blood of the dragon runs thick. Then why do you cut me so deep? I've only ever spoken the truth. I see Otto Hightower for what he is. An unwavering and loyal A hand. A cunt. In the final part of the episode, a funeral is held for Emma and Balon. Soon after, Otto urges Viserys to get his succession in order, stating that Daemon cannot be his heir. Viserys storms out of the meeting, referring to the small council as crows. Otto then sends Alicent to comfort King Viserys in his chambers. Meanwhile, Daemon hosts an orgy at a brothel. During the party, Daemon toasts Balon as the heir for a day. The context of the speech is left open to interpretation, shall we say, but Viserys deems it as an insult and removes Daemon from the royal line. Viserys then summons Rhaenyra and names her as his new heir. He also informs her of a secret, that Aegon Targaryen, the first Targaryen king to conquer and rule Westeros, dreamed of a long winter in the distant future that could destroy the world of the living. He tells her that a Targaryen must be seated on the Iron Throne for Westeros to make it through to the spring. Daemon and Missaria depart on Caraxes, which is Daemon's dragon, while Rhaenyra is publicly named as Viserys' heir, and the various lords of Westeros swear fealty to her. Lizzie, how are we with this final bit of the episode? I'll get one of my few issues with the episode out of the way here, because... You know the thing you said about um, dreaming of a long winter in the distant future that could destroy the world of the living? It's it's one of the things mm. I was really worried about going into this show, that it would be mm-hmm. a lot of like references and sort of subtle allusions. Not subtle, like obvious allusions to the show. You know, like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen moments. Like, they said the thing! Like, I was yeah, really yeah. Yeah. dreading that and didn't get much out of it here i don't think it really needed to be in it, it just it's not really a huge thing but i don't know i kind of wanted this to be as much of a separate thing as possible like if, it, if it's not relevant to the current scenario which we're witnessing don't include it because it doesn't yeah. really need to be there just imagine this is its own separate thing but yeah anyway that's why my one very minor complaint about the episode um yeah, the, the funeral for Emma and Balon is is obviously devastating. Is is it? I'm am I right in saying that this is the first point that we actually learn that Balon's died? Yeah, it's kind of you sort of hear him coughing a bit, and then you just see him on the the pyre. Yeah, because but, well, I didn't even spot him on the pyre. It's just there was a comment between um, I think it was Rainier and somebody else where they just had a kind of a whisper between each other and it, you know Balin was mentioned as well Yeah. Um, and I feel bad because I kind of missed this the first time I watched it and it was just um, so when the air for a day thing came up I was a bit confused but then it obviously dawned on me um, 
But yeah, it does seem a bit like, well, obviously Damon is sort of plotting something and clearly has the Iron Throne in his sights. But, you know, if you, you take one look at Viserys, like, why would you want it? There's so clearly nothing to be gained. Even if there's, like, some grand vision that you have in mind, there's no way you can achieve it with, you know, the means you have. All it is is just another problem to deal with. I think you kind of crave power in this universe, but the promise of power is much, you know, it, it kind of, it promises more than it can deliver. And it's hmm. clearly not dawned on some of these people just yet that it's, it's a poison chalice. And it, like you mentioned before, even Rhaenyra, it's like, you know, she might have wanted to be the heir at the beginning of the episode, but there's that moment, at, you know, just after the joust, you know, when everyone's leaving and the the news yeah. is kind of passing through the, the skybox and it's clear that something's gone horribly wrong. And it, it kind of just focuses on her and she does that little look to the side like, oh God, this isn't what I want. I, I need to get as far away from this as I can. So... Yeah, it's it's sort of dawned on everyone that this is not how it's going to be, and well, we're kind of stuck with this limbo now, where you know people people are promised something they don't want, and the people who do want it are nowhere near it. Yeah, it's a very thematically, I think it's a very interesting second half of the episode and I think what you've sort of said there kind of touches on it where just at the point where Rhaenyra starts to doubt you know and starts to feel a bit like oh maybe I wouldn't have been overshadowed by his son or you know that sort of thing mm. it's, that's at the moment where she finally gets told right all of this your shoulders carry it yeah um, but this is where I want to take some time out to talk about Paddy Considine especially yeah. like yeah, Matt Smith sure. chews a lot of scenery brilliantly um, he's great as Damon but Paddy really steals the show for me. Um, the episode seems to be kind of built on his and Shan Brooke's shoulders. Um, and then obviously after the birthing sequence, it starts to be built on Paddy's. Um, the way that he goes from playing a king that's interested in trying to please everybody, kind of fights a losing battle with it. After the birthing scene, he just retreats so well into Viserys' grief. He plays Viserys with this proper loneliness and mm. there's a real melancholy to it. I think he's mm. kind of been... It kind of hints to me that he's been hiding behind Emma and everything, the security that she kind of brings him. And now it's all been stripped away. And what we're left with is a really isolated, ailing man with ulcers and sores all over his back yeah. who's being physically rejected by the Iron Throne and just sort of stays away up in his bedroom, like <laughs> making this Im very impressive model of old Valyria. Um <laughs> Shout out to um, Beth Phillips. Um, apparently, Beth Phillips was uh, sort of like the head of the team, or the you know the person responsible for making that. And also Jim Clay, who's the production designer who oversees everything. That's a really really gorgeous. Uh, it, like when I saw it in the cinema, my mouth just dropped. I was like, wow, it's very that's, cool. Yeah, yeah, really really quite something. Um, but. I just yeah, I just think he's excellent, and 
I'm really glad that he's got a role like this because obviously like the first thing I ever saw him in I was 12 years old and it was the video for Leave Before the Lights Come On by Arctic Monkeys and oh and then a year later than the year after that he was in Hot Fuzz he was one of the Andes yeah <laughs> um, and then I, when I was a bit older I got recommended to watch uh, Dead Man's Shoes oh god and, yeah wow he's really a proper tour de force in that and so sure. to For see sure. him be given a role where it feels like he'll finally be recognised by a large international audience um, is, is great to see Really, yeah, really great absolutely. to see him. I'm, I'm so happy that he's got that he's got this role. Um, but yeah, the the a song of ice and fire scene. <sighs> so, Rhaenyra is named as an heir rather than an heiress. Make of that what you will. <laughs> Maybe they don't have the word heiress in Westerosi lexicon at this point. But anyway, given how much analysis has been paid to gender roles in the episode, maybe they could expand to gender expression and gender identity. The actor who's going to take on the role of Rhaenyra later in the show, Emma Darcy, is non-binary. I can yep. imagine that Emma wants to put something of themselves in the role. So that could be interesting. Apparently Sophie Turner put a lot of herself into Sansa, so we'll see where that goes. Of but the, yeah, the A Song of Ice and Fire scene, um, I don't know what it does to the end of Game of Thrones. Like, does it canonize it by saying, yes, this is the dagger that Arya used? Or does it uncanonize it by saying, yeah, this dagger's going to be used, but not by Arya and not with Cersei on the throne? I, like, I, I, don't, I don't really care either way because, you know, as long as that Blu-ray's on my shelf, the <laughs> end of season eight of Game of Thrones will never change. But mm, yeah. I'm curious about what they're going to do with it and how they're going to approach it because this is the first Game of Thrones property to exist in the world since the ending and it's interesting to see how HBO are going to respond to the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Is this mm. another doomed prophecy? Like, is yeah. it another doomed prophecy? Is it a lie? Did Aegon lie about his dreams? There's, there's a... Th well... First of all, I, I completely agree with you, Lizzie, that if I if I was in charge, I'd hard cut it out. Yeah, I, it just it's not it's not necessary. I feel like maybe maybe the idea might be if we if we're gonna link it, let's get it out of the way. Let's put the link in, and then let's carry on. It might be a kind of thing like that, but I yeah. I just don't think it needs yeah. it. No, but I agree. taking it at face value for what it is, there is a theory going around at the moment that it could connect because I don't think it ever came up in the show but uh, Rhaegar Targaryen had the same dream and it led him to become obsessed with having like another son who would become Jon and blah 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 and the so there's a theory the stuff, right? yeah exactly yeah. and there's a theory going around at the moment that it might be the case that Rhaenyra has been told this thing but that over the course of the show she'll never pass it on and so that yeah. kind of secret is kind of lost until Rhaegar somehow rediscovers it and then it, it kind of feeds into that. All that's kind of like potentially interesting in a kind of lore type way. But I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know why it needs to be here. It's a completely different conflict that's kind of interesting if you're interested in the broad like entire universe. But if you're not and you're just watching a show, it kind of makes you go, oh, okay, well... I've seen that. Why, why are you talking about it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that they go somewhere more interesting with it. Like, I'm trying to think, 
is the dream and the secret about the dream and all this stuff like you know is it just a way for the targaryens to justify that they need to be in well, charge exactly. like yeah yeah oh, maybe we've yeah. been having these dreams like because obviously like there's something rhaenyra says just before i'm where it's like listen the dragons make us gods so like listen we're gods right you know and so i don't know if there's a bit of a superiority complex coming into this, but I'm happy to just wait and see. Like, the, I, I imagine that, you know, George R. Martin is not someone who's like, oh, yes, all prophecies come true. Like, exactly. you know, he's not yeah. one of these people. Mm. So, like, it seems quite convenient you know. as well. Like, I, I would, let's say there's a dream and you dream of the world ending because of the cold, because of the White Walkers. Fair enough. Oh, how convenient. There has to be someone from your family on the throne. Yeah, you just threw that into your prophecy, did you? That's kind of <laughs> yeah. how I... My head canon is kind of... Aegon maybe just slipped the word Targaryen into his prophecy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I just... Yeah, I think that there's ro- there's enough room for interpretation for it to be a lie. Yeah, yeah. Or a half-truth. Um, um, yeah, I was going to say, with like with dreams, you tend to forget most of the details within about five minutes of having them. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah that's know. kind of how I see it, too. Yeah. Like, oh, we'll just embellish a few details. Why not? Like, this whole thing, <laughs> this whole show, the book that it's based on is all based on, like, three different accounts of history. Yeah, exactly. And not all of them are totally reliable, so... Yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. Um, the only other note I have is that it's good to see Otto properly in action in the second half of the episode yeah. after the air for a day thing. Like, mm. I wouldn't say that the air for a day thing is totally ambiguous because we see Damon joke about how he's not so easily replaced. And I'm curious... It's just I'm curious about why the show cuts away before he actually says the air for a day. Yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that Damon said it mockingly, but like I think what it does is it creates space for Otto to work in, and we can see him slithering about in the gap where it's left up to interpretation. I think it like that it cutting away it achieves probably like two things. It tells the audience that yep, yeah, Damon said it. But it also says that Otto isn't really bringing it up for Viserys' benefit yeah. either. Yeah, um, he's, he's a bad he's... faith actor raising a yeah. good point. Definitely. Um, and I was kind of saying to you, Lizzie, off air, that like, you know, what if Littlefinger had a daughter that he could pimp out to gain power? And that's Otto Hightower to me. You've said it on this episode, actually. Yes, so, yeah. <laughs> so I forget when I'm saying things, but it's a that's great the thing that really yeah, sticks I out. Agree. Yeah. yeah. What other notes have you... Have, have either of you got any notes about the scene in the actual throne room? Nothing other than, like, yeah, Paddy Considine's great. He's so good. Yeah, and it kind of... It built, it's, it's been built up through, through the whole episode when, you, when, I, you know, when, I, when I said about him being too soft on him. It's like, that's the moment when he cracks. And he's like, yeah, he just no, this is over. Yeah, he's, he's had it off. Like, obviously, everything that's happened to him, like, who cares if he alienates his brother at this point? Yeah. Which mm. is gonna have repercussions because he jumps on the dragon with Missaria and flies off to parts unknown, <laughs> and who mm. knows what's gonna happen as a result. Yeah, I like the um, the two scenes that take place in the brothel. Um, there's a moment in the first one where Matt Smith kind of puts the cloak around himself, and yeah. it's just nice that Damon's not all like I kind of described him as um, Jamie Lannister, but with a bit of Tyrion and a bit of Joffrey thrown in, and or like early Jamie Lannister, rather. Yeah. Um, speaking of Jamie Lannister, it was good to see Nikolai Costa Waldo. Yeah. Um, 
in the in the episode in the background. Um, and Lizzie, there was another cameo that you spotted as well, right? Yeah, there was David Can. Um, not a big name, but he's been in a fair few like comedy shows and British TV shows. Uh, notably, he was the Doctor in Jam. If anyone remembers ah. that, yeah. Yes, the um, the Chris Morris thing, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm sure if um, yeah. if Sarah Hughes was still around, um, she like he'd be the random British cameo of the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, do you know, that is something I was thinking about, that, like, I'm going to get to read Gretchen Felker Martin and I'm going to get to read Sean T. Collins' work yeah. about House of the Dragon, but I am really sad that, like, Sarah's not going to be around to watch it for herself and also give us great analysis. Yeah, me like too. Like she did for The Guardian. I've, um, I've read her yeah, so comments every, like, after every episode, even when we were discussing the show, I... I kind of yeah. went back and read every single one of those. She was great. I can't believe that we're at the end of our first episode. Um, <laughs> Jay, thank you very much. How how was your first uh, first go? <laughs> awesome. It's been it's been loads of fun. I should say by the way before we start to close, um, it's really embarrassing if I if I didn't say it. I talked about a Knight's Tale and I was like, hey, it's a movie with Heath Ledger in and loads of other famous people who I can't remember. Mark Addy is one of the main characters, which is pretty embarrassing to forget. Oh my god! Game of Thrones podcast. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really good fun. Um, I was yeah, I've been I was so happy with how much I liked the episode, and uh, yeah, I love how everyone else is liking it too. Yeah, same. And Lizzie, I'm glad for your sake as well that your introduction to this show was welcoming. It wasn't too much. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> All right then, Lizzie, I want your line of the episode. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with one from Otto Hightower, actually, who says, uh, the gods have yet to make a man who lacks the patience for absolute power. Mm. And yeah. who is your loser this week? Fairly easy loser this week. It's Damon. Damon Targaryen. Yeah. And your winner? Ah, it's a very close second for King Viserys, but I'm going to give it to Emma. First episode, and we're already giving out one for the road. Yes, uh, <laughs> keep it in character. Yeah, yeah, but never mind. All right, then we will be back next week for season one, episode two, which I believe is called the Rogue Prince. So um, yeah, it's just really good to be back. Thank you very much, everybody, for sticking with us uh, while we were three months without an episode. Um, although we had like a great week. This week, um, it's it's even though we haven't uploaded an episode for about what like three months now, this last week just gone was like our second best ever week of the <laughs> wow. show. So I'm not sure what's happened there, but thank you very much, everyone who's tuned in, even if you're yeah, just tuning you in so for much. the first time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll see you in a week's time. See ya. Bye for now. Bye bye.